Hello and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of AZ Vineyard Church. This week, enjoy the podcast as truth is revealed in God's Word. Go get a notebook, grab a Bible, and expect to have an encounter with God today. Morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. Uh, I'm nervous this morning. And I'm not normally nervous. I have a very heavy teaching to give this morning. And I'm nervous about it. And uh, um, let's, just, let's just pray. Let's start off praying. Uh, Father God, you're God. We're not. You reign. So God, I just ask that your words would rise up and be prominent, God. That we, that what Paul said, that the words of Christ would richly dwell within us. So God, come do your thing. And we give you permission to have your way and to do what you want to do. And my prayer is that I get out of the way. And that you come and do what you want to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So these last couple weeks, ooh, these last couple weeks, there's been a theme and a word going through um, our body. And it's been for the last um, couple months. John Farmer has been talking in Matthew chapter 24, and he talked about the two slaves, and he talked about um, getting ready for Jesus. And being ready for when he comes. And then he, go, he went in into Matthew chapter 25 and he talked about the ten virgins. And the five that were ready and the five that weren't. And he was talking about getting ready. And the ten virgins, they all had the same oil, lamp, and wick. Five of them took care of it. Five of them didn't. And the bridegroom came. And the five virgins went in. And the five that weren't prepared went to the door and knocked on it. And Jesus said, I don't know who you are. They all had the same equipment. They just weren't prepared. So he's been, a, he's been having a call of repentance to be prepared for when Jesus comes back. And then Sandy gave up, came up and taught two weeks in a row out of Joel chapter 2. And she gave this beautiful picture of the owner of the wheat laying on the threshing floor and being there with the wheat as it was going through the threshing process. That when we go through these situations and we go through these circumstances, Jesus is lying on the floor as the threshing is happening. And Sandy did a call to repentance coming out of Joel chapter 2. And Sandy said to reflect, repent, remember, refocus, and recalibrate. That that's been the call in this house for these last couple months. I'm going to continue on with that. And um, some of you may not even know who I am. Uh, back in December, we had things kind of come up in our house. And Marcy and I stepped away from leadership. In December of 2019, we joke that we were self-isolating before self-isolating became cool. <laughs> so it's been a while since I've been up here. I also uh, play guitar and I'm on the worship team, but we haven't been involved much. So some of you who are new probably have no idea who I am. And that's fine. You don't need to know who I am. Um, turn with me in your Bibles. Get out your Bibles. Get out a piece of paper. 
Get out a pen. You're going to be taking notes. Turn to Acts chapter 17. And I'm going to tell you up now, I'm going to go long. So be prepared. If you need to go, you can go. If you're online, stop now. If you're watching online, stop now. Go get your Bible. Go get a piece of paper. Go get a pen. I'm old. I say get a Bible, a paper, and pen. Most of you are going to do this on your phone. I'm old. Okay, boomer. Turn to Acts chapter 17. I have been on a six to seven month journey with God. He's had his thumb on me for quite some time. Today we're going to talk about my favorite subject, me. (laughs) Basically what this is, this is a teaching for me. This is the process that I have been going through for the past six, seven months. I have other great teachings, worship, kingdom, identity, but there's no way I can open my Bible right now and not teach on this. So when I got asked to speak today, this is all I can do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through the journey that I have been on for the last six, seven months. Please hear me. This is about me. I'm going to take you through what I've been through. I hope your eyes are opened. I hope things change in your life. But please don't take this as you're doing something wrong or you're doing because this has been about me. I've been on a six, seven month time of repentance and changing my mind and changing how I see things because they've been incorrect. So I'm just going to walk you through that journey. Acts chapter 17. We're going to start in verse one. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Alaponia, they came to Thessalonica. And there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them. And for three Sabbaths, he, seasoned, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving, excuse me one second. There we go. Explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this is Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and along with large numbers of God-fearing Greeks and numbers and leading women. But the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city uproar and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to break them out into the people. Verse 6, and they did not find them and began dragging Jason for some brethren for the city authorities shouting, these men have upset the world and come here also. Verse seven, Jesus and Jason had welcomed them and acted contrary to the decree of Caesar saying, this is another King Jesus. Verse eight, they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. Verse nine, and when they had received the pledge from Jason and others, they released him. Uh, Verse 10 is their response to this. And then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So they had to go to Berea because of what was happening in Thessalonica. And when they arrived, they went there to the synagogue of the Jews because we just learned that that's Paul's custom. Verse 11. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily, to see that these things were so. In your notes, I want you to write down Acts 17, verse 11. That is my prayer. That I be one of the people like Berea. That I receive the word with eagerness and then I line it up and I make sure it matches with the scriptures. This was Paul and Silas. 
These were two big guys in the churches. These were guys going around preaching the kingdom and establishing churches. But yet when they came up and look at how the difference was from verse 1, how they preached in Thessalonica and those people received the word and they became Christians. But yet they went to Berea. They went over there. And when they showed up, it said, Luke says that they were noble-minded because they received it with eagerness. And they immediately said, does this line up with Scripture? And he says they were noble-minded. That these people, no matter what they said, no matter what they preached, they said, does this line up with Scripture? Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. You're going to go left. You're going to go past Matthew, Malachi, Zephaniah, Amos, Daniel. When you get to Daniel, slow down. You'll hit Ezekiel. You're going to go to verse 28, or chapter 28. Verse 1. Are you there? No. Okay. The ones with the phones and the tablets are already there. Verse 1, chapter 28, Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, Thus says the Lord, because your heart is lifted up, because you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of seas, Yet you are a man and not a God. Remember that. Although you make your heart like the heart of God. Skip down, skip down, skip down, skip down. Verse 9. Again, he's speaking to the king of Tyre. Will you still say, I am a God in the presence of your slayer, though you are a man and not God, in the hands of who wound you? You will die the death of uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Verse 11, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up lamentations over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord of God, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Okay, stop right there. It was the king of Tyre in the garden of Eden. He switched. In the middle of this prosperity of the king of Tyre, he's speaking about somebody else. All of a sudden, he's changed. He's not talking about the king of Tyre anymore. Okay, follow me. Verse 12, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. He lists all the stones. We'll skip it. Verse 14, you were anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. The king of Tyre was not a cherub. He was not on the mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways in the days you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. But by the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. I have destroyed you O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about Satan in heaven when he was cast down before the garden of Eden. That's who he's referring to. 
And it says in verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. You thought you were so great, the wisdom you had in your mind became corrupted because you thought you were so beautiful. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. You're going to go left again. If you get to Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you've gone too far. Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 3. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 3. Is everybody there? Yeah. Okay. 14, verse 3. And it will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and your turmoil. He's talking about Israel and harsh service in which you have been enslaved. That you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, Now the king of Babylon, this is Isaiah. The king of Babylon is a real person. In a real place. In fact, in Second Kings chapter 20, Isaiah goes to Hezekiah and warns him of the king of Babylon. But Babylon is not only just a, a real place, it's also a type and shadow of, um, of the world system and the kingdom of darkness. Babylon is also mentioned in the book of Revelations. That Babylon is a theme going all the way through the Bible. But at this moment and in this instance, he's talking about the true king of, of Babylon. He's talking about a person. Okay, so and what it is, is there it's almost like a song or a, a chant or something. And they're ridiculing the king of Babylon. And it um, verse four, you take up the taunt against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has ceased, how fury has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, which used to strike the people in fury with unceasing strokes, which subdue the nations in anger, unrestrained persecution. Skip down to verse 11. Your pomp and your music and your harps have been brought down to shoal. Maggots spread out as your bed beneath you and worms are your covering. Verse 12. How have you fallen from heaven? Is he still talking about the king of Babylon? Was the king of Babylon in heaven? No, not in this instant. Oh, how you've fallen from heaven. Oh, star of the morning. Oh, son of the dawn. He's talking about Satan again. He switched right in the middle of talking about King of Babylon, and all of a sudden he's talking about Satan again. Verse 12. Oh, how you've fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, O son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus actually says, I saw Satan fall from heaven, and he, and he says it's like a bolt of lightning. But you said in your heart, he's talking about Satan, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights and the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. In Ezekiel, we reads that what we just read in Ezekiel 28 is that his beauty corrupted him. His splendor corrupted him. Here he's saying, I will be better than God. I will be raised up. I will be lifted up. Satan's sin was, he was in heaven. He was an angel. He had communion with God. His sin was, he wanted to be better than God. He was upset that God was getting the glory and not him. Okay? Do you see that? Do you see that he wanted to be lifted up? He wanted to be higher. Are you guys with me? Okay. Genesis chapter 3. You're going to go all the way to the left. 
to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Everybody there? Now the serpent was more crafty than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of the garden, we may eat. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch or you will die. Verse four, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be what? What image was Adam and Eve created in? Who did they walk with in the garden? Not to segue to your uh, home group that's going on, but. They had relationship with God. They were like God. They were in communion directly with God. They walked with him what they talked with him. Satan goes to him and says, no, you will be like God. Do you see the elevation? Do you see the deception that he did? That he said, your position that you have with God, that's, I can make it greater. I can make it bigger. And then what happens? Knowing good and evil. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. And what? When they ate of the fruit and they sinned, where did their eyes go? To themselves. This deception of Satan on them was to take their focus off of God and to put it on themselves. He said it was the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Is there any evil in God? Were they lacking in the knowledge of God? Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a knowledge of man. It was taking their eyes off of God and it was putting it on themselves. That's the deception of Satan. To make yourself seem bigger than God and to put your eyes on yourself. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Let me know when you're there. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he became hungry. I have a hard time skipping lunch. And the, temper came, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, 
And on their hands they will bear you up that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Satan is quoting out of Psalm 91. Turn with me to Psalm 91. Let me know when you're there. Psalm chapter 91. We're going to start in verse 1. Okay. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper. It is from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will seek refuge. Gosh, we could just stop right there. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. A bulwark is a big round shield that covers all the organs of your body, that God covers you all the way around. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalk in the destruction or the destruction that lays waste at noon or a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked for you have made... For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. Here's where he starts quoting. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, that he will bear you up in their hands and you do not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon lions and cobra and young lions and the serpents will trample you down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble I will rescue him and honor him. With the long life, I will satisfy him and let me see my salvation. Who's this chapter about? It's about God, our Redeemer. He that dwells in the most high of the secret place hides under the shadow of the wing. This is a chapter giving glory to God of who he is and what he does. This is a chapter saying how great our God is. Look at all these things he's done. Glory to God. Glory to God to who he is. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. And it said to him, you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and their hands will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Satan took a scripture out of a chapter that's glorifying God and he pulled it out of that chapter and he twisted it and he made it to try to get Jesus to take his eyes off of God, who that chapter is about, who that verse is about and get his eyes on himself. Because he says, throw yourself off the cliff. Look, the angels will take you and make, put you into safety. Have Christians ever fallen off cliffs? Yes. Have Christians ever died falling off cliffs or gotten hurt falling off cliffs? Yes. This isn't a promise that he's going to save us every time we fall off a cliff. This is worship to him of who he is and what he does and his sovereignty and how he deals with his people because he is God and he is great and he is going to rescue us the way he wants to. This isn't, that's why Jesus responded with, it is also written, don't test the Lord. Because you throwing yourself off a cliff is testing God. And that's not what this scripture is about. But do you see how he took it? 
He pulled it out of the passage, he twisted it, and then he turned it to his own agenda to show, to get Jesus' eyes off of God and get it on himself. Satan doesn't care that you go to church. Satan doesn't care that you raised your hand and said a prayer and you call yourself a Christian. Satan doesn't care that you sing worship songs. Because if he can take all those things and make it about you, then he's made it about idolatry. And it's not who God is and you're not serving the God. You've made it about you. And that's a deception. He wants to be raised. He wants to be glorified. And one of the ways Satan can be glorified is to take your attention off of God and to put it on yourself. And this is rampant through the American church right now. I'm going to teach you three words. I'm going to switch gears here for a minute. I'm going to teach you three words, and then we're going to jump back on this track. And full disclosure, I haven't even looked at the time. I don't know where we're at with time. Um, I'm going to teach you three words. If you knew these words, good for you. Should have told me. I've never heard this before. (laughs) Someone should have told me. The first word I want to teach you, I want to show you, is called, you got those slides? It's exegesis. This word exegesis, do the next slide. It means to lead out, to show it out, to read it out. Actually means to lead out. In the biblical sense, exegesis is to take the word of God, to open it, and to read it out. To let the word of God define the word of God. That's exegesis. Unfortunately, that's not being done in charismania land today. And the problem, the problem we have is we have people that come and sit in a building. They don't bring their Bibles. They don't bring pens. They don't bring paper. They don't write down what people say. They don't line it up. They don't read the scripture for themselves. They don't open it. They don't exegesis themselves. And what happens is we have a church full of deception because we don't know what the word of God says. I'm going to jump back on that track in a minute. The next one is eisegesis. Go ahead, do the next one. This is to take it, pull it out, isolate it, and to twist it for what you want it to say. This is what Satan did in Matthew chapter 4. He did eisegesis. Where we have people get up and they give a motivational speech and they sprinkle scripture in their motivational speech to show you that it's godly. But what they've done is they've taken things out of context and they've pieced it together and they've morphed it into something that was never meant to be. And we have people that come to buildings without their Bibles, without pens, without paper or your phone, I don't, whatever. Um, And you don't write it down and you don't go home and say, okay, the guy talking said this scripture. What does it say? What's the 10 before it? What's the 10 after? Who's speaking? Who's he speaking to? And does it line up? Remember, I started in Acts 17. They received the word with eagerness and they immediately lined it up to the scriptures and said, is that what this says? 
and we're full of deception and we're full of idolatry because we don't know the scripture. The next word has been created. It's comical and it's sad at the same time. This is a new word that's been created. Then the, this one is narcissus. This is where you put yourself in the Bible. This is where you make the Bible all about you. You are not David. You are not Daniel. You are not Gideon. All of the Old Testament is an arrow pointing to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament has to do about Jesus. It's one gigantic arrow. All the things in the Old Testament, they're either directly connected with Jesus showing up. Rod has an amazing teaching about that where he walks you through and shows you where Jesus actually showed up in the story. Other than that, everything else is a type and shadow for Jesus. If someone stands up and gives a motivational speech about how you're David, that's Narsa Jesus. That's putting you in the story. The story of David and Goliath, the people were sitting there. They had no redemption. Nothing could save them. Someone stepped on the scene, cut down the giant, cut off its head of authority. That's a sign of Jesus showing up into the world. We were, we were dead in our sin. We had no redemption. He knocked down the giant of sin and condemnation and death, and he cut off the head of its authority. David is Jesus. If they get up and they talk about how you're David, you're Gideon, you're Saul, it's Narsa Jesus. Everything about the Bible, everything about our worship, everything that we do should point to Jesus. It should not point to us. When it points to us, we're falling in the deception that's been since the beginning of time of Satan wanting to be bigger than God. And his job is to take, his fo- take our focuses off of God and to point it on ourselves. Matthew chapter 24. That's a good word. Yeah. I want you to write this down. I'm not going to go into detail. But I want you to write this down. I want you to chew on this. And I'm talking about exegesis Bible right now. Clear passages will govern unclear passages. Clear passages will govern unclear passages. Literal text will govern symbolic text. Literal text will govern symbolic text. The Bible will always define itself. The Bible will always answer its own questions. The Bible will always translate itself. If you read something and you don't understand, one of the things to do is to go look at other places where the same subject is talked about again. The danger is when you take one piece and you pull it out and you build your doctrine off of that one piece, that's deception. And it's probably idolatry. Because the Bible will always balance itself out. It's by grace that you're saved, through faith, which is not of works of your own, so that you can't boast. 
The very thing that you needed to get saved, God gave that to you. You didn't have the glove to catch the baseball. The baseball's grace. You needed the glove to catch the baseball. God gave you the glove. The glove is faith. Faith, you can now catch that baseball. But faith without works is dead. What is it? Is it a gift? Or is it something I have to do? Yes. Why? Because the body will, the Bible will always balance itself out. Matthew chapter 24. Go to, go to verse 3. I'm actually doing okay on time. All right. We'll see. Verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciple came privately and said, Tell us where these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. In, in uh, chapter 24, Jesus talks mainly about three things. There's a little bit more, but mainly, and John spent some time in this chapter. He spent more towards the end. Um, it's the birth pangs and the things that happened before the tribulation, the destruction of the temple, in um, which actually actually happened in AD 70, the actual destruction, he prophesies about it, and then the end times. Um, Matthew chapter 24 is more of um, more of literal text of the end time. So, like Matthew 24 would be somewhere you go to first before you go to the book of Revelations, because the book of the Revelations is full of some symbolic. But Matthew 24 is more literal and tells you. That's one of those instances where you read that first before you read Revelation. And that will help you define. What's very dangerous is when someone takes an unclear text and they take a symbolic and they begin to eisegesis and they spin their own personal opinion in that. And they get up and they tell you this is what this says. This is what that says. And they spin their own in it because it's not exactly clear. That's very dangerous. And be very careful. And if you know your Bible, if you have it, what you do is when you're in that situation, you have a pen and paper or your phone or whatever, okay, boomer, and you write it down, and then later you go check it out. You be Acts 17. You be a Berean. You never let... Okay, hold on. Let me go back to 24. Then we'll get into this. Uh, 24. We did verse 3. We're in verse 4. Jesus is an answer and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead you. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, seeing that you are not frightened, for these things must take place, but yet the end is not near. For nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth birth pangs. Okay, let's stop right there. The things he's describing, wars, rumors of wars, uh, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famine. Would you agree that those are happening right now? So he's talking about something that's happening right now, right? And he says the birth pangs. He says that these, this isn't the tribulation. These are things that have to come 
to get things going. Okay? But we can agree that this isn't the tribulation that he's talking about. Because then he switches and he starts talking about the tribulation. And he talks, starts talking about the temple. But I don't want to get into that. I want to stay right here where we're at. He says, back up to verse 4. He starts it off. Starts this whole conversation off with, see that no one misleads you. That's his very first important thing. And then he says, for many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ and will mislead many. This isn't talking about the Antichrist. The word Christo means the word anointed. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ is his connection to heavenly places. Jesus is his humanity. He was 100% man, 100% God. Anyone who says different is not preaching scripture. Remember that. That's why and sometimes in the Bible it's written as Jesus Christ or it's written as Christ Jesus. It depends on if they are talking about his humanity or talking about his uh, heavenly place. John the Apostle wrote a lot about Jesus Christ. John was the beloved. He's the one who laid his head on on Jesus' chest. He knew Jesus as a man. He called him Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle uses Christ Jesus mostly. Why? Because Paul didn't know Jesus as a man. He knew Jesus being blind in Damascus, knocked off a horse and said, I'm Jesus, why are you persecuting me? He knew Jesus as God. So most of the time he writes Christ Jesus because that's how he knew. So Christ is his identity into heaven. It means anointing. And that phrase, I am the Christ, it's ame Christo in the Greek. It could be translated into, I have Christo, I have anointing, or I have been anointed. That's kind of how that's been. Jesus starts us off with saying, make sure no one misleads you. Many will come and show up and say, I have anointing. Be very, very, very careful. When someone stands up, a man or a woman at the pulpit, and they begin to talk about their anointing, they begin to talk about their giftings. They begin to talk about their mantle, which isn't scriptural. Be very careful on when people begin to talk about the things that God has given them. One, where's their focus? On themselves. Two, where's the scripture? It's usually not there. When those people get up, they usually bring their Bible and it just sits and it's a prop because they begin to tell you about their anointing, about their gifting, about the things that God has done for them and gifted. And then they want to, they want to pray for you so that they can give you their anointing. And my friends, my brothers and sisters, this is rampant through the American church right now. And what happens is you have people that get up, men and women that get up at the pulpit and they give a motivational speech about their anointing, about their giftings, and then what they do is they tell you all the great things that they've done all the amazing things that they've done in the name of God. And then they tell you, okay, now you need to be like me and do all these amazing things that God has done. And it's going on right now. And what's happening is, and I'm not here to talk about those people. I'm here to talk about you who are in this room, 
You who are listening online, you who come to the recording. That's who I'm talking about this morning. Because what you need to be is a person that shows up with their Bible, with a pen, with a with a paper and you write down everything that says and when they get up and they give their motivational speech and they sprinkle the scriptures in it to make you think it's holy and you get goosebumps because God was there oh my gosh I felt God I got goosebumps they're talking about their anointing they've been praying for days with God and they got the word of the Lord to come to them and I got goosebumps because of their anointing and what they told you write it down and you go home and it says was that scripture Because of the manner of the woman with the anointing that spent three days in the closet praying and getting a word from God, did it come from Scripture? And if it didn't, it's idolatry. And it's deception. And I've had to repent. Because I've followed it. And I had to learn that everything needs to line up with scripture and I need to know it so that when people speak those things I can line it up and say God is this from you there's a lot of people saying they hear from the Holy Spirit but if it doesn't line up with scripture it's not the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit one of his jobs I'm not going to go into it because we'll wrap this up soon but John 14 15 and 16 is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit and one of the main or main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to point you to Jesus. And I read a quote that says, you want to be slain in the spirit when your head hits the floor. If it's empty, it'll still be empty when it gets back up. Because the Holy Spirit cannot give you something that you have not read on your own. His job is to remind you of the things you've read, to remind you of the things you've seen. His Holy Spirit's job is to amplify this scripture when you read it and you say jim well it's it's god the father god the son and god the holy spirit it's not god the bible god the father god the son and the god the holy spirit their definitions are found in here their definitions are not found from a man or woman from a pulpit telling you who god is and when you when you get on those definitions, when that person gets up, says they have the anointing, God gave them a word, God gave them a dream, and they get up and they tell you we're going to go this direction because this is what God told me. If it doesn't line up with scripture, don't go that way. And we have congregations today that are off in wacky weird land right now. And you wonder, how did they get there? How do they think it's okay? It's because they don't bring their Bible. They don't know their scripture. And someone with anointing stood up and said, I've heard from God. This is what we're going to do. Everybody got goosebumps because the anointing was there. It must be the Holy Spirit. And they follow this person into wacky weird land. And it's full of idolatry and deception. And it's rampant. It's rampant through our church. Our American church. Matthew chapter 7. I'm almost out of water, so when I run out of water, I have to stop talking. I know where there's water. I was trying to get you guys out, so don't don't give me more water.
Matthew chapter 7. Let's do, 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 do. Let's, let's do 14. Matthew 7, verse 14. Matthew 7's, Matthew 6, 7, and 8 are powerful chapters. Right now, um, at the men's group, Saturday mornings, 9 o'clock, on Zoom, contact the church office for uh, uh, details on how to get to the men's group. That's Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. We're doing it on Zoom. We're doing it on the computer. Um, but you should be there if you're a man. Uh, men's group, Saturday mornings, 9 o'clock. Contact the church office to get the details, to get it. Um, we're going through, we're in Romans, and we just did six, we're in seven. We're in the middle of six, seven, and eight, which are three powerful chapters in Romans. Most people think Romans starts in chapter 12, but there's a lot more before it. I know it's hard to believe. Um, kind of like how Romans six, seven, and eight is really important that we're studying on Saturday mornings at nine o'clock in the men's group, contact the church office for details to get on Zoom. You don't have to leave your house on Zoom. Uh, Matthew 6, 7, and 8 are also very powerful, and it's Jesus talking about the kingdom and, and laying things out. Matthew 7 is like pinnacle of all this, and it's the, 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 the change of all this anyways. Um, Matthew, especially the beginning of Matthew 7, is really important and really powerful, and that there's a lot of misconceptions about Matthew chapter 7, which I'd, I'd love to go through with you and talk about it, um, if I'm ever asked back after this. And, um, but we're going to skip all that for now. And let's go to, um, Matthew chapter seven, verse 14. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. I keep forgetting to put my glasses on. Leads to life. And there is few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thrown bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And there I will declare to them, I will never know you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Verse 21 and 22. Miracles are not a sign of godliness. Jesus spent a lot of time before he got this, and he said fruit is what's important. Remember that we started off with the five, the ten virgins, the five wise, the five foolish. They all had the same lamp, same wick, same oil. Five of them took care of it, five of them different didn't. They went to the door and knocked on the door and the bridegroom said, I don't know who you are. There's, there's a responsibility 
of knowing the word and knowing what's being taught and doing the things that Jesus said. You can't do the things that Jesus said. You can't have the words of Jesus live in you richly if you don't know what they are. And why would someone, why, why would someone who does these amazing things, prophesies, cast out demons, perform many miracles, why, how could that be somebody who Jesus doesn't even know? That is such a crazy dichotomy to me. That is so contradictory. How can you do these amazing things and yet Jesus doesn't know? It makes me wonder, who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping the miracles? Are you worshiping the gifts? Or are you worshiping the God who gives those things? Our American churches today are so wrapped up in the gifts and the miracles and the things that God can give me because I'm so great that those are the things we worship. We worship the evidence. We don't worship the God that gives the evidence. We worship the blessing for our children and our children and our children, but we don't worship the God who gives the blessing. Our American church is full of worship to us, to ourselves. It's in our motivational speeches. It's in our worship songs. Everything has to do with us and about what can we get from God and what can he do for me so that I can be big and I can be great. I can do miracles. I can do this. I can have this anointing. I can have this mantle. I can do all these things. Me, me, me. And do you see how that's the deception of Satan? That today, the people here, or if you're listening to this on a recording, that today that you stop and you realize that everything I do Everything I say, everything I sing, everything I worship needs to be about Jesus. And if it's not, it's me. And it's idolatry. And it's deception. We need to be a people. I'm going to say it. My, this is my opinion. Strictly my opinion. That we are not in a time of revival. My opinion is we are in time of reformation. When you study church history and you study the fathers of the reformation, there were about three or four. Three of them came before Martin Luther ever came. But what they did is they were tired of the church. They were tired of what the people from the pulpit were saying. And they began to translate the Bible into their own language. And they began to read it for themselves. And they began to pull away from the church and say, no, that's not what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. And they began to grow disciples. And they would retranslate the Bible into And they would give it to their disciples. And what happened is the church rose up and then began killing them. And destroying them. And they had to scatter. And they were laying the foundation for Martin Luther. I'm not going to get into it. won't get into church history. But my personal opinion is that's what's happening right now. Is we're pulling into a reformation. 
that people are not taking what the man or woman from the pulpit is saying anymore and they're grabbing their Bibles and they're saying they're still receiving the word with eagerness, but they're lining it up. Okay, I'll stop. I have more, but I'll stop. I'll be done. I'll be done. My prayer for you is that you begin to see it. That your eyes would be unveiled. And then you begin to see it. And you begin to recognize it. Because when you recognize it, what it does is it sends you back to the Word. And you begin to recognize that the Holy Spirit speaks through you through the Scripture and reminds you of the things you've read. And He can't remind you of those things if you haven't read them. Okay, let's stand. You got something? You're holding the mic like a sword. Don't clap for this man. No. Currently, that's not appropriate. Let's all stand. If you want to honor him, if you want to honor that word right there, It's time to make some decisions to change in our life. Because I'm going to tell you right now, what he just preached, I believe 100%. And I believe God in his mercy is bringing his people into a time of repentance and reformation. Let me give you a different view of what the word reformation might mean. When you have a lump of clay and you begin to shape it the way you want to, that's being reformed. But the issue is, are we a a lump of clay in the hands of our God? Or are we shaping ourselves as if we were our own God? The concept of having church the way I like it, we sing the songs the way I like, the preacher preaches the way I like, it makes me feel good. I'm telling you, he's called us to one thing and one thing alone, to lay our lives at the feet of the king. I am no longer my own. I belong to him. I've been bought with a price. And there is no other Christian life. Anything else makes it about me. And as we lay our lives down into the hands of the king and he reforms us the way he wants, we become useful. He releases his gifts through us. But I'm going to say this. What Jim just preached about the, about the Scriptures, if you don't put it in, Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. And then all of a sudden it becomes dangerous because we misunderstand most of what Holy Spirit says to us. We misunderstand it. He's speaking, but we don't get it right. 
So I'm just going to ask us, here's our ministry time for today. Are you willing to be his and let him shape you, the king, as he will? Are you willing to go to the scriptures for yourself? We don't have to, listen guys, we don't have to understand everything we read. We just have to put it in there. Put it in there. Keep reading it. Keep asking. Keep praying. Are you willing to be changed? Or will we be those who fight to stay the same, even if staying the same isn't even satisfying to ourselves? Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we surrender to you all over again. We give ourselves into your hands, Lord Jesus, to be yours. Do with us as you will. Lord, we're clay in your hands. Can you say that with me? Lord, I'm clay in your hands. Shape me how you will. Do with me as you will. Amen. Now I have one question for everybody. Do you trust him or are you afraid of what he might do? Thank you. But let me tell you, let me explain to you. We're not in this life for very long. And we're going to go be with him for a long time, forever. Preparing to go is letting him serve or letting him work through us to serve. Others serve him and to be all about him, not about ourselves. Amen. Thanks for listening to AZ Vineyard Church's podcast. We're located in Goodyear, Arizona. To learn more about our church, visit our website, azvineyard.com. That's A-Z-V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D.com.